morning, church. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Uh, it's in the Church Pew Bible on page 944. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So, also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentile through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Well, thank you. Uh, please keep your Bibles open as we look at this passage this morning. But before we do, I want to invite the kids to the front because I've got a bit of a kids spot for you. So kids, if you'd like to come to the front and parents, if you're worried about what your kids may eat or touch or do, then you might want to join them as well. Okay. If there's anyone online, Johnny, uh, you might want to move the camera so that they could see as well. But if there's no one online, that's fine. Okay, kids, come to the front. Come to this table. Uh, there are four things that I want to show you, and I need your help to tell me whether they go together or not. Whether you can mix them and it will be better, or if you can't mix them because it will be worse. Okay? So who thinks they can help me? Hands up. Oh, come on. I'm sure more kids can help me. Yeah? <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay, well... The first one I've got here is, who knows what these are? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's milk. Who likes milk? Yeah, you like milk? Yeah. Okay, who knows what these are here? Okay, what's that? Oh, you've never seen them before. Oh, you guys are amazing. <laughs> I think Sarah wants me to throw them away. <laughs> okay, so the question is, look, I've got some milk here. I'm going to pour it into this bowl. Okay. Yeah, I think that's enough. Now, who reckons that these Oreo cookies go well with milk or not? Yeah, Evangeline, well, if you think they do, why don't you give it a go? You can grab an Oreo cookie and dip it into the milk and have a taste. 
Okay, who, who else reckons that Oreos and milk go together? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, next up. Yeah, it's good. Oh, fantastic. So milk and Oreos go together. Okay, the next thing I've got here is, who knows what these are? Who knows what this is? Evangeline? Oil. And who knows what this is? Yeah, Joshy? Water. That's right. I'm going to pour some water into this uh, jar. Now, the jar's a bit sticky on the outside because I peeled off the wrapper, but that's a bit of water. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour some oil into this bottle. Now, who reckons that the oil and water is going to mix? Hands up. Yeah? Cool. Let's see what happens, okay? Okay. Ooh, what's happening there? Did it mix? Do, does oil and water mix? What can you see? Who reckons that they can shake that and mix the oil and water together? Oh, Joshy, you go for it. You weren't allowed the Oreos, but you can have the oil and water. <laughs> Will it mix? Why don't we wait and see what happens once it settles, okay? Okay, and then Joshy, you have to yell out and tell us, does it mix or it doesn't mix? Okay? It doesn't mix. <gasps> it doesn't mix. So oil and water doesn't mix. They can't go together. Okay, the next, the next one I've got here. Yeah, all, all the kids can take turns having a look at the jar. Thanks. Okay, the next thing I've got here is, what's that? Who knows what this is? You want to have a smell? Hey, Sarah, can you smell this? What's that? Yeah, it's like a muesli bar. It's Weetabix. Yeah, it's so nice. Okay, now... I was just wondering, who reckons that cereal goes with water? Oh, Peter, okay, you're going to give it a go. All right, here's some water. And in fact, to top it up, I reckon we should add some oil too. Is that how you have your cereal in the morning? Joshy, you do? Yeah. That's very interesting. You're not allowed to have Oreo, but you have cereal with oil and water. Okay, so, look, we've got three things going on here. Who wants to give it a go? I've even got a spoon. Who dares? <laughs> okay, look at the oil. Oh, who, who reckons they want to have that for breakfast tomorrow? Oh, Joshy does. All right, I'm going to let you talk to your mum first. <laughs> okay. All right, and this is the other thing. This is the last thing now. What do I have here? Crackers and cheese. Who reckons they go together? Ooh. Well, if you think they go together, then you can grab one if your parents let you. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, kids. Thank you so much for helping me with this experiment. But kids, can you have a look at me? So, so the big idea today is that some things go together, but some things don't. And you should never put it together like oil and water or cereal. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ can never be mixed. Do you know that Jesus loves us? 
because we believe in him. And that's it. Who can say that? Jesus loves me because I believe in him. Okay, let's say that together. Jesus loves me because I believe in him. And that's it. That's the gospel. Isn't that good news? And you should never mix it. You should never change it. You should never add to it or take anything from it. So let's say it again. Jesus loves me because I believe in him. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, kids. Let's give them a round of applause. Okay. So, Joshi, do, do you want that? <laughs> no, no, Evangeline. It doesn't go together. Well, friends, as we've seen and the kids have shown us, there are some things that go together that can put a smile to your face, like boys and computer games. Our grandparents and grandchildren, our kids and a trampoline and me and Kariluxa. It's a match made in heaven. Uh, but there are some things that don't mix uh, and should never be brought together, like Donald Trump and politics. Uh, there are some slides for these. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, dentists and lollies. Sorry, Joshy. Uh, women, credit cards, and shoe shopping. Uh, cats and water. And, that, and what we've seen over the past few weeks in Galatians is that the gospel as revealed by Jesus to the Apostle Paul must never be mixed with anything, including the law of Moses, which is exactly what the churches in Galatia were tempted to do. They were tempted to change the gospel and add to the gospel and mix it with the law of Moses. So in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Paul is astonished that they're turning to a different gospel, which was the gospel mixed with the laws of Moses. And last week in Galatians 2, Paul publicly, in front of everyone in the church, rebukes the apostle Peter for undermining the gospel, not by what he preaches, but by his actions. By removing himself from meals with the Gentile believers, he implied that they weren't fully-fledged Christians. They needed to be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses as well. And so Paul's been very clear throughout Galatians. There's no two ways about it. You either trust in Jesus wholeheartedly, or you obey the law and fulfill it all. You can't mix the two together. You can't mix faith and law. You can have one, but you can't have the other. And in today's passage, just as Paul didn't pull any punches when he rebuked Peter, he now turns his attention to the Galatian Christians and tells them in no uncertain terms that they're fools. They're fools to turn to a different gospel. They're fools to think that they can change the gospel to mix it with the law of Moses. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, have a look at it with me. You foolish Galatians. Or in verse 3, are you uh, so foolish? You see, there's no other way for Paul to put it, because that's basically the translation. Uh, because, uh, but, but sometimes when we read that, we, we, we hear these strong words from Paul, and we uh, might feel like Paul's probably just a grumpy old man behind the steering with our old Honda Holden Commodores, uh, screaming his head off, calling hoon drivers idiots. But that's not the case. Because Paul is full of love and concern for the churches in Galatia. And so maybe J.B. Phillips' translation puts it best. He says this, Oh, ye dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. Don't you just love that? 
Because Paul's calling them fools and telling them that they're idiots, not because he's being harsh, but because he's so concerned for them. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. Who would have thought that you find this sort of language in the Bible? But Paul, you see, is in disbelief. He can't believe that the Galatians would turn to a different gospel, even though they've come to believe in the crucified Lord. It's such a stupid thing to do that he wonders whether if a sorcerer like Saruman in Lord of the Rings or a wizard like Voldemort in Harry Potter has cast a spell over them. And so have a look at verse 1 again. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put some spell on you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That is, if you know the gospel and truly believe that Jesus lived the life you can and died the death you deserve, you would never turn to a different gospel and add to the gospel with the laws of Moses. No one in their right mind would do such a thing. You'd have to be under a spell of sorts. If you think that you have to be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses to be saved, you're delusional. And so if, if we don't want a bishop or a, a missionary or a, a Christian friend of our church to write to us and, and say, oh, you dear idiots of Cezac, surely you can't be so idiotic. Then we need to pay attention to today's passage and what Paul has to say to the churches in Galatia. Because like mixing cyanide with water, to mix the gospel with anything else is foolishness to the first degree and idiotic of the first order. And the Galatian Christians should have known better. Because they knew from their own experiences, as Paul will lay out from verse 2. And they should have known better from the plain reading of scriptures, as Paul will lay out in verse 6, that salvation is by faith alone and not by works of the law. So first up, let's have a look at their own experience of the gospel. Paul asked the Galatians a series of five more rhetorical questions. But before I read, I need to remind you what happens when you become a Christian. And it's this, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus for the very first time, when you believe the gospel that Jesus gave himself up for your sins to rescue you from this present evil age, as we've seen in chapter 1, verse 4, it's at that point in believing, it's at that point when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, that you're converted and you become a Christian, a fully-fledged Christian. And it's at that point that you're justified, that you're declared right with God. And it's at that point that God then gives you the Holy Spirit. It all happens all at that moment when you put your faith in Jesus. And so His Spirit is poured into your life. He dwells in you. He transforms you from that very moment, from one degree of glory to the next. And so as I begin to read this series of five rhetorical questions, I want you to notice what did the Galatian Christians contribute to their salvation as opposed to what God has done for their salvation. So verse 2, I would like you to learn just one thing from, from you. Do you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's very clear, isn't it? The Galatians received the Spirit not because they obeyed the law, but because they believed what they heard. Not because they got themselves circumcised, but because they believed what they heard. 
Not because they knew the laws of Moses, because they didn't even know the laws of Moses. They were Gentiles, they were non-Jews, but because they believed in the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel isn't an invitation to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. It, the gospel isn't good advice, but good news about Jesus. The gospel isn't about what we've done or what we could do for God, but who Christ is and what he has done for us. You see, the law and the gospel are diametrically opposed. They're mutually exclusive and contrary to one another. They're not two aspects of the same thing or two interpretations of the same Christianity. For the law says, do this and you'll save yourself. But the gospel says, Christ has done everything necessary to save you. As John Stott puts it, the law makes demands and bid us obey. The gospel brings promises and bids us believe. But you can just imagine at this point, as the churches in Galatia are reading uh, Paul's words here, that they're saying to us themselves, we, we agree with you, Paul. We, we become Christians by faith. We become Christians when we believed in Jesus, when we received his spirit. But, but now that we're Christians, to continue as Christians, we have to then obey. We have to obey the laws of Moses. And so Paul preempts this rationale and says, no, you don't. You don't start with Jesus and move on to the law. You don't start with Jesus and move on to anything else. You start with Jesus and you stay with Jesus. You believe the gospel and what you do is you keep believing the gospel. That's the Christian life. You never move on from the gospel. You must nev never move from the gospel and change the gospel. You must always remain in the gospel and keep believing in the same gospel. So verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, that is, obeying the law? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask you, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, now imagine you're on holidays and you notice an amazing piece of art. And you love pigs, and you see this portrait, and it catches your attention, and you love it. You fall in love with that pig and that picture immediately, and, and, and you're told the price, but you don't care. It costs you an arm and a leg, but you don't care, because you love pigs, and you love that picture, and so you buy it. You don't even haggle. You pay full price, even if you're an Asian. That's how much you love this pig and this portrait. And so you take it home and you want it to be hung above your fireplace, the centerpiece of your family home. But you can't because you can't drill a hole to save your life. You're hopeless at finding the stud and you end up drilling holes all over the wall. And that's one of mine. So you can, you can call a tradie. And you do. You, you call a tradie who specializes in mounting fine artwork. And so they come, they, they weigh the artwork. They work out which screws to use and the wall, and they work out where the studs are, and they find it without any issues. They install the artwork, and it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. You've never, ever heard that a tradie has done a perfect job, but this tradie has. It's a miracle. It's perfect. The height is perfect. It's square. It's level. It's secure. And then you pay the tradie, he leaves, but after he leaves, 
you grab some duct tape. And you start taping this artwork to the wall, so much so that it's completely covered in the duct tape and you can barely see your precious pig. Now, why would you do that? Well, it's because you're scared that the artwork might not be secure enough. That the tradie you just paid didn't put in enough screws or got the weight of the frame wrong or miscalculated the strength of the nails. And so that one day you're scared, you're fearful, you're terrified that your precious artwork might come crashing down. That is, you didn't trust your tradie to do the job. And so you took matters into your own hands and you thought you could improve on the tradies' workmanship. And that's what it's like to start with the gospel and move on to obeying the law. It's to think that you need to trust in Jesus and start with faith, but then move on to helping Jesus get the job done. To think that you need to obey the law to be saved is to distrust Jesus' finished work on the cross. It's to say that the cross and his death isn't enough. To add good works to the work of Christ is an offense to the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ. Just as the trader would be horrified if he came back and said, oh, sorry, I, I forgot my spirit level, and then he sees that what he's just mounted is covered in duct tape, he'd be horrified let alone for Jesus to look into our heart and see that our faith is not in him, but on whether we're a good person or not. You see, as Christians, we put our faith in Jesus, and the journey of the Christian is to keep putting your faith in Jesus for the salvation of our souls and nothing else. We never move from the gospel. We stay with the gospel. We keep believing the gospel. lest we replace Jesus with something else or someone else and finding ourselves with nothing more than duct tape, than the glory of the cross. But Paul doesn't just appeal to their experience, he also reminds them of the plain teachings of Scripture. For even before the law was given to Moses, when you go back to the first patriarch, Abraham, you'll see that salvation is by faith and not by works of the law. So in verse 6, Paul says, So also Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now notice what's said here. Abraham believed God. That's all he did. He believed God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. And what did God do? God credited to him as righteousness. That is, God made Abraham, who wasn't righteous, righteous, who was in debt, debt free. Not because he obeyed some law, for the law wasn't even given yet at that time. Moses came hundreds of years later. But because he believed in God and his promises, and so he was declared righteous. He was declared right with God. He was justified, his sins forgiven, his debt cleared. It's a bit like this. Imagine you're in a courtroom and you're Jean Valjean from Les Miserables and you're on trial for stealing a handful of bread. And the judge says to you, Jean Valjean, I'm going to make you a promise, but you're going to have to trust me. If you walk out of this courtroom right now before the prosecutor comes 
I'll strike your case from the courts. There will be no record on your file. It will be as though you've never stolen a handful of bread. But if you stay and you wait for the trial to begin and the prosecutor comes, you will be convicted. You will be sent into hard labour for stealing a handful of bread. And in a similar way, that's what God did for Abraham. And that's what God has done for us. He promises us to make us right with him, to credit us with righteousness, not because we're righteous, for we are sinners, but because we trust him and believe in his promise. We say, yes, I believe, and I'll walk out of that courtroom before the prosecutor turns up. And so we have the same faith as Abraham. We're his children by faith. Verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, God's intention in saving a people for himself from every tribe and language and people and nation wasn't a change of plans when Jesus came, but was always God's plan from the very beginning, beginning here with Abraham. You see, Abraham believed it. Abraham believed that God would save people through him. He just didn't know how. But we do, because Jesus came from the line of Abraham. We know how God did it, for Jesus came and obeyed the laws of Moses. And so with the coming of Jesus, the law's job is done. It's finished. It's no longer necessary and relevant in the same way. And we're going to look at that and the law next week. But the point Paul makes here in verse 10 is that the law isn't based on faith. If, if the government says what you can and can't do, it doesn't take faith. It's told to you. It's given to you. It's not a promise. It's a law. The law doesn't save. In fact, it curses. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is anyone, everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Since the law leads to death, it doesn't lead to life. It, it, and so it's not just foolish to put yourself under the law again. It's idiotic to believe that you need the law to improve on the work of Christ, to finish the work that he accomplished on the cross. For on the cross, he didn't just die. He became a curse for us so that we can be blessed by God. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith 
we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We live in a capitalist society where hard work normally pays off and performance is often rewarded. From a very young age, we're motivated to work hard, to, to earn our keep, to get our reward. It's drilled into us that hard work pays off, normally pays off, and performance is often rewarded. And so we live like it's all up to us to, to find the solutions to solve the problems. We're used to relying on ourselves and sometimes even find it hard to sit still or even to pause, to take a breath, to smell the roses, as it were. And so often we wonder if we've accomplished enough in our lives, whether we've achieved enough by a certain age, if we've done enough. And sometimes we're tempted to mix capitalism, as it were, with our faith in Jesus to bring the capitalist mindset into the Christian framework and think that we have to try harder as a Christian. And we wonder to ourselves whether we're good enough to be a Christian, whether we've done enough good and obeyed enough laws and given enough money away so that Jesus is happy with us, so that God might love us. But friends, if you've put your faith in Jesus and believe in his promise to save, then you are saved. Keep trusting him. Don't second guess your faith in Jesus and believe the lie that your faith alone is inadequate. Don't duct tape his work on the cross by trying to win his approval by your good deeds. And if you've received his spirit and he's transforming you from one degree of glory to the next, don't be conned into thinking that you need something more to be a fully-fledged Christian. Whether that's because you've got a Christian friend who speaks in tongues, but you don't, and so you feel you're spiritually lacking, and you're therefore not as close to Jesus as they are, don't believe that lie, for you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if someone comes knocking on your door and tells you you need to obey certain laws, certain food laws, and worship God only on certain days in accordance with the Old Testament to be acceptable to God, don't believe the lie. You can't add to the finished work of God in Christ on the cross. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said on the cross, it is finished. As Christians, when we believe in Jesus, we receive his spirit. And so let's not feel guilty we're not doing enough. But keep trusting in his completed work on the cross. Let's not feel insecure. For our security isn't in our feelings or in our achievements, but in Jesus who secured our righteousness on the tree. So whenever you're in doubt... Whenever you're feeling guilty, whenever you're feeling insecure, there's one thing you must do. And that's not to say, I'm going to do better. It's to look back to the cross of Christ and marvel at the wonder of his sacrifice. Look back to the cross of Christ and stop performing, but keep believing. For the precious of you're right with God. There's nothing more to do.
So keep believing as you did on the first day you became a Christian. Keep trusting as you did on the first day you became a Christian. No more, no less. For Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Amen.